Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. I was inspired to submit these stories after listening to so many others tell about their experiences with seemingly prophetic dreams or visions. I don't believe in spending energy on trying to unravel these mysteries, but I have had several experiences that caused me to believe that I have some sort of ability for predicting upcoming tragedies, and I'd like to share some of these. Every now and then, The name of an acquaintance or someone that I know, but don't speak too often, will randomly pop into my head. It'll just come to me over and over. I'll wonder how they're doing, and then maybe within a few days, I'll find out something bad has happened to them, or that they've passed away. For example, there was this guy I knew from college, we'll call him Elliot. Elliot and I had a campus job and several classes together, but after graduation, we fell out of touch apart from some light social media interaction. It had been a long time since I had seen or spoken with him, and one day, while I was at the gym, his name floated into my head. Elliot. Elliot. What's he up to, I wonder? This carried on for several days, Elliot just repeating in my head. Then one day, a mutual friend posted something on her Instagram page about how sad she was to have heard the news how she had known him her whole life and couldn't believe it. Yes, Elliot had passed away. I hadn't talked to him or reached out during this period when he was on my mind, and I was shocked to learn that he was no longer with us. Another time, I was on a weekend trip with my family, and I started thinking, again randomly, about my friend's dog. Wow, he must be pretty old now. I hope he's still in good health, I thought to myself. When I returned home from that trip, I saw a post that she made, again on Instagram. Her dog had passed over the weekend. Here's another example of my intuition run amok. I was on vacation visiting with some friends from college when they started talking about a guy that we knew from those days. We'll call him Chris. I had a bit of a crush on Chris while in college and we'd email back and forth. I'm ancient, I know. We would hang out on occasion, though. He was into some pretty weird niche metal and dark movies, but he seemed otherwise fine. Very smart, the kind of guy who would hang out with professors in his free time. We were never more than friends, but we would catch up and chat whenever I was in town. Eventually, we drifted apart, and he started posting really strange things on his Facebook. Nonsensical ramblings and things like that. I'm not sure which of us brought Chris up in the first place, but I told my friends that he had been on my mind. I decided to look him up. He wasn't on Facebook anymore, so I googled his name. I was horrified to find out he had been arrested for murdering his father literally the week before. He stabbed him during an altercation. All of these previous occurrences could, of course, be explained by the fact that I knew these people, so of course I'd be thinking about them randomly. Chances are pretty good that they'd cross my mind close to the time of these tragedies. This next occurrence, however, I have no reasonable explanation for. A few years ago, two rhyming names popped randomly into my head. They were extremely unique Indian names, and I had no idea why I had been thinking of them at the time. To protect the privacy of the family, I'll just call them Camilla and Priscilla. However, they were even more unique than these names, These are names that I wouldn't hear every day. I got the impression that they were sisters, maybe twins, but in any event, close in age. 
like me and my sister. No one in my hometown had these names, so I thought maybe they were girls that I knew from childhood religious camp who lived somewhere else, as they seemed to be names I was remembering from the past. After thinking about these names for a few weeks, I asked my sister if they sounded familiar to her, or if she had any memory of being friends with girls with those names when we were little. She had no clue what I was talking about and couldn't recall anybody with those names. I asked my parents, too, if they remembered any girls me and my sister might have been friends with that were named Camilla and Priscilla. They also couldn't think of anyone. Puzzled, I tried to turn to the internet. I googled something like Camilla and Priscilla Indian sisters, and one of the results was a link to an obituary for a young woman named Camilla. She tragically passed away during the week I googled her name. She was in her 30s and was a new mother, just like me at the time. What's more, yes, she had a sister. You probably already know what the sister's name was. To this day, I have no idea why those names popped into my head, as I evidently have no connection with these people. I mentioned this uncanny ability of mine to my dad a few years ago, and he mentioned that the women in the family are said to have the touch and have also encountered similar predictive events. I'm not sure if this is a real condition in our family. I haven't reached out to any of my aunts to inquire further, but I do find it interesting that he told me this after I confided in him about my encounters. These occurrences aren't always bad, though. I will never forget the time that I met someone who is now a very good friend of mine. I had been feeling kind of lonely and was wishing and praying for a true friend to come into my life. Around the same time, I had a scene from a TV show that was stuck in my head and kept playing on repeat in my mind. In this scene, one of the main characters runs into a friend that she hasn't seen in a while. Let's say the friend's name is Sasha. In the scene, the girl runs up to her friend and squeals, Sasha, Sasha. That repetition, that excited Sasha, kept replaying itself in my head. A few weeks later, I'm walking around a local park with some people when a guy stops us and says that he was looking for a fountain because he wasn't from around here and is supposed to meet a friend there. The friend just moved to town. We say that we're glad to walk him over to the fountain, and when we get there, we meet his friend. Her name is Sasha. The character from the TV show and my friend's name have a slight difference in pronunciation in real life, but they basically have the same name. Sasha and I bonded instantly and went on to become close friends, calling each other soul sisters and I was even a bridesmaid in her wedding. I find all of these experiences to be so curious. I don't try to hone or develop this skill, but I do try to pay close attention to my intuition, and I get very nervous now when somebody's name randomly pops into my head. I used to work the second shift in a welding shop that often required someone to stay overnight to watch parts with a torch running on them to maintain their heat so they could be welded on in the morning. This night was my turn, and I usually did every other night, swapping turns with my buddy. Neither of us felt super comfortable being alone there, and we both felt like we were being watched when we were there alone. But nothing crazy ever happened. This shop was not necessarily in the best part of town, but it had a fob-activated gate with a chain-link fence surrounding the perimeter as we built parts for the military. It was a typical shift for me. I got there around 3 p.m. and everyone left for the night around 11.30 to midnight. The night had been going smoothly, and I was sitting in the shop office, reading a book at around 3 a.m. The guy relieving me from my shift was supposed to come in at around 4.30 a.m. I had just gotten back to the shop office from checking the heat on a part being worked on, and sat back down to pick up my book. I was tired but not absolutely exhausted, 
and fairly alert. I just felt uncomfortable, as usual. I then heard three loud knocks on the metal door outside of my office, unmistakable from the other sounds of an empty fabrication shop. This was something else entirely. The hairs on the back of my neck stood up, and I quickly left the office out of a back door to go read my book in my car. Though I knew every 30 minutes, I would have to go back inside. I was extremely on edge for the entire night, up until 4.30. I was sitting by the part I had to watch, waiting for the person to relieve me from my shift to show up. 5 a.m. came and went, and there was no sign of him. I began calling my bosses, and no one answered their phones. I called my wife, pissed off that the guy had no-showed without even calling, as 6 a.m. was coming soon, and I had to be back at work at 3 p.m. The first shift wasn't going to be there until 7.30 a.m., There was no way I was gonna stick around for that long. The dark shop was suddenly lit by a motion-activated light about 100 feet away from where I was sitting on the phone with my wife, and I saw a dark shadow dart across the aisle. I told her, Oh, I see the guy. I'll call you back. I'm gonna go talk to him. I went and walked around the entire shop and there was nobody but me. I was still alone. I called my wife again, absolutely hysterical, and explained what had just happened. Neither of us could come up with a logical explanation. Eventually, my boss called and had someone come in early to relieve me, and he informed me that the guy who was originally supposed to show up had called out because his father had passed away that night. When I went to work the next day, I told my story to a 30-year veteran of the company, and he told me that when he used to do the overnight shift, he would see an old man in a gray suit walking up and down the aisles. He told me it was the ghost of the owner of the company, still checking on his business. After that experience, I never worked another overnight shift again, and later on, I left the company for unrelated reasons. My second story happened a few years ago. Whenever I tell the story, which is not often, I feel a sense of dread and embarrassment, and it makes me tear up. My friend and I were driving home from another friend's apartment in Virginia heading towards Richmond. We had done this drive many times and knew the way, but we still had the map on to route us home. It was about 2.30 in the morning. We had been driving for about 35 to 40 minutes on 95 South, a four-lane highway with very clearly marked exits toward other cities in the state. We weren't talking much as we were both tired but I was watching the map here and there to make sure we didn't make any mistakes on the way home. Suddenly, I saw a sign that meant we were heading in the opposite direction, about an hour northwest of Richmond, heading towards Staunton. I don't believe we were on 95 anymore. We looked at the map, and then it suddenly started rerouting. Even though we hadn't been driving very long at all, we were significantly far away and in the opposite direction than we were supposed to be. On our way back, we had to cross a bridge over a river and pay a toll that we hadn't done before. We were terrified and called our friend to let him know what had happened. We believed that we had been teleported because nothing we could logically come up with made any sense to us. It took us another two and a half hours to drive all the way home. 
This story still scares both of us to our core. I've made that drive with that friend many times, in worse weather and more tired than that night. Now on to my third and final story. We lost my grandmother around Thanksgiving last year. I was very close to her and had lived with her for around two years, off and on. I spent my childhood traveling eight hours to her house, once or twice a year, and she and my grandfather would take turns coming down every six weeks throughout the year, for about a week or two at a time. After a long series of health issues, my grandma was in hospice, and the nurses had told my mother, who was staying with her at the time, to help make her comfortable and be there to take care of everything when she passed. They said that she would be gone within a day. The day had passed, and she still clung to life. The next day, my large family had all gathered at my grandma's house to say their goodbyes. We are a very tight-knit family, and both my mom and my uncle were there, confused about why my grandma was still staying there as she was catatonic. They just wanted her to be at peace. My wife, son, and I had gone to the house after I got off work to say our goodbyes. When the time came, I had my family clear out of the room so I could be alone with my grandma. I knelt beside her and cried, telling her that I loved her and that everything would be okay. After being catatonic and totally unresponsive for the previous two days, and all day that day, she opened her eyes, weakly, and grabbed my hand. We both knew it was because she had heard me, and it was just me and her. I cried and then I sprinted to go get my mom, and we both knelt beside her and held her hand, talking to her. Shortly after, she went back into the catatonic state, and my wife and I said goodbye to everyone and went home to put our son to bed. The next day, my mom called me during my lunch break and said that grandma was still hanging on, and she didn't understand why. She told me that if I wanted to come to be with them again, I could, but it was totally up to me and I could do what I felt the most comfortable with. There would be no guilt if I was not comfortable going back. I struggled with the decision the rest of the day, but when I left work to go home, something told me that I had to go back to the house. I called my wife and said that we were going back over, and we'd talk about what to do with our son when I got home. My wife's mom offered to come over and put our son to bed, so we didn't have a one-year-old running and screaming around my grandmother's house as she was trying to be at peace. When we got to the house, my mom and uncle were sitting next to my grandma in the living room, speaking with the next-door neighbor, who was also very close with my grandma. She touched the lives of everybody she met and was a very special person. Shortly after we got to the house, the neighbor left, and about ten minutes after she left, my wife sat on the floor next to my grandma and began singing to her. My grandma's breathing got slower and slower, and she finally passed. I felt a sense of peace so profound that I was paralyzed. I couldn't speak or move. I just sat and watched as my mom took her pulse and announced her death. My uncle checked the time, and my wife helped my mom. The next day, I called my mom, and she was very upset. She said that when my grandma had passed, she nor my uncle had felt or heard anything shift in the room as had happened with every other death they had experienced in their lives. I told my mom about what I felt, 
and she said that she believed my grandma was waiting to be in a room with me, and probably my wife too, just sitting in quiet with no one else around. We found out later that as my son was sleeping, at the time around my grandma's passing, my father-in-law had looked at the camera to check on my son and saw two orbs floating above his crib. Right as he opened the camera, one darted out quickly, and the other bounced around before doing the same. I'm currently renovating that house to move into, and I know that my grandma will be watching over us. My father has always been a bit unusual, extremely intelligent, extremely awkward, and extremely into anything morbid and paranormal. Considering that he is a dyed-in-the-wool atheist, I've always found this to be strange, but I digress. Growing up in a tiny town left my father and his best friend little to do as kids and teens. They found out that they both enjoyed exploring abandoned places and searching out old cemeteries for a while. My father was, and still is, interested in the occult. The 70s were pretty wild on their own, but throw in some Aleister Crowley spells, and things are going to get weird. My father and his four friends decided that they were going to try a spell that they found in a book written by Aleister Crowley. Somehow they landed on a spell to raise the dead. My father claims that they chose this one more because the materials were easy enough to find compared to the other options. Personally, I would have gone out of my way to find one that didn't involve a potential zombie apocalypse, but to each their own. Armed with the book and recommended materials, my father's little group headed off into a remote, older cemetery. They scanned the graveyard to find the correct grave, And once they had settled on one, they set up an altar on the headstone and sat down in a semicircle around the stone, intentionally avoiding the area above where the coffin likely lay below. Evidently, that last part was important for the spell. They all bowed their heads and began reciting the spell. One second my father was there with his friends, eyes mostly cast down but open, chanting, and the next he found himself waking up, flat on his back. The stars were shining above. He sat up, getting his bearings, and realized that he was laying in front of their chosen tombstone. He had been in the position of a newly arranged corpse above where the coffin should have been. When he looked up, he realized that his friends were still there where they had been, still chanting the end of the spell, completely unaware that my father had moved. Terrified and confused, He jumped up to his feet and yelped. His friends stopped and looked up, clearly equally as shocked that my father was no longer in their circle. My father told them about how he had woken up and that he had no memory of even moving. They told him that he had not moved at all. While their eyes were mostly cast down, they were still very much open and the smallest of noises seemed loud in this empty rural cemetery. It was as if my father had completely vanished into thin air, then reappeared over the coffin, perfectly laid out like a body posed for a burial. No sounds, no movement, no nothing. All of my father's friends jumped to their feet and hightailed it out of there. However, this didn't stop my dad from doing things like this, but I think from that moment on, spells were off the table. My father has long since lost that book, but I am painfully curious about what spell they used. Perhaps the title was more of a metaphor or some dual meaning, or perhaps a very important detail was missed. Maybe, just maybe, whoever was in the ground required a replacement in order to rejoin the world. And maybe, just maybe, my father was going to be it.
I live in Northern Europe. This incident occurred at around 10 p.m. when I was leaving the ER and my boyfriend was driving us home. I had a spinal headache due to a lumbar puncture I had earlier that week, but it did not affect my judgment in any way. I was turned away at the ER and told to return in the morning because it was late, and they no longer performed epidural blood patches, which is what I needed at that time. We didn't live far from the hospital, just a seven-minute drive away. I walked out of the hospital with a pounding head as my boyfriend arrived in our car, and I hopped in. The drive home went smoothly until we had to stop at a red light. There was an older lady crossing the road with her dog. I remember looking at her carefully because she resembled someone I knew. She was older, quite short, had light brown hair tied in a ponytail, and had very distinctive facial features. Her dog was a cute gray poodle, and I remember telling my boyfriend that I wanted a dog like that someday. Then, a few seconds later, another lady started crossing the road. My heart dropped when I realized it was the same lady. First, I admired that same gray poodle, and then I looked at her face and realized that every facial feature, the ponytail, and even her clothes matched the previous ladies. My boyfriend saw it too, and we immediately began to discuss it. We asked each other, Did you see that? Is this really happening? We both turned to look in the direction the ladies had gone, and there they were, walking at a considerable distance from each other, not communicating and seemingly unaware of their doubles. Later, we tried to reason out what we had seen. We thought maybe the women were identical twins or related in some other way. However, I have seen many people, whether related or not, walking their dogs with someone and there has always been some sort of communication between them. Even if they aren't talking, there are usually glances or other nonverbal cues. But between these ladies, there was nothing. They walked a few meters apart, showing no signs of communication. It was as if they were not even aware of each other's presence, or were completely ignorant of it. We watched them until the light turned green. There they were, the lady and her doppelganger, walking at the same pace in their identical clothing without any interaction. We drove the rest of the way home in disbelief. We tried to come up with a plausible explanation, but we couldn't fathom that the ladies were related, judging by their apparent lack of awareness of each other. The whole situation reminded us of the scene in The Matrix, where the same cat appears twice in an identical setting. Of course, I could be mistaken, and there might be a natural explanation for this, but I have never viewed the world quite the same way since. I have no history of mental illness, I have a stable job, and I lead a rather happy life. Yet, I now entertain the idea that we live in a simulation. Perhaps this conveys the eerie and uncanny nature of the entire situation. two stories I'd like to share with you. The first involves a mysterious man that I met at my church. When I was a young child, around three or four years of age, I was waiting outside of our church with my older brother. He was holding my hand and looking around for our parents by the main entrance. I don't remember why we were waiting, but I remember standing patiently 
when an old man in a brown suit walked up to us and began talking to me. He asked me if I just came out of the church, to which I replied yes. The older man looked disappointed and asked if I believed in any of it. I remember feeling uncomfortable at this point, and I looked up at my older brother who was still looking around for our parents and hadn't yet noticed the strange man in front of us. I couldn't understand why my brother was ignoring him. I held on tighter to his hand and stood a little closer to him before nodding my head yes. The old man sighed in disbelief and looked as if he were going to turn and leave us alone. Instead, he pointed at the church and said, You shouldn't believe in that stuff. It isn't real. None of it is. I just stared at him. I honestly didn't know what to say at this point. I remember shrugging my shoulders and saying something along the lines of, You're wrong. By this point, our parents had returned, and they looked at me and asked me what I was talking about. I pointed to where the man stood and explained what had happened. My brother knelt down and said, There's nobody there. On to my second story. When I reached the age of 15, my mother met an older man and decided that we were to move in with him into his cottage. This meant that I had to change schools, which was a bit disheartening. Having to leave all of my friends and memories behind was terrible. My brother had moved out at this point with a girlfriend into a single-bedroom flat, so moving in with him would not have been ideal. When we moved, I was given one of the bedrooms upstairs. The first couple of weeks went by as normal. I didn't notice anything strange or feel anything off. One night, I was watching TV in the lounge on the sofa, which can see into the dining room. I remember looking over and seeing a pair of eyes form on a face which then became a body that moved close to the glass door. It was looking at me while I was watching the TV. I remember calling out for my stepdad, but when he burst through from the kitchen, the face was gone. A few nights later, activity throughout the cottage began to pick up a bit. When in the lounge, my mom and I began to notice a shadow run past the window which looked into the sunroom. One morning, my mom walked into the sunroom and she described seeing this tall mist floating throughout the sunroom towards the kitchen. The sound of children laughing in the lounge could be heard even though the cottage was in the middle of nowhere and there were no young children living around the property. In the middle of the bedroom where I slept, my stepmother awoke. In the middle of the bedroom where I slept, my stepbrother awoke to his wrist being squeezed by something. My stepsister said that she always felt watched and never alone. When I slept up there, I remember waking up some mornings and feeling something in the room. It was like this weird, thick, heavy energy. I awoke to a small child of five or six years old with blonde ringlets and a cotton dress. They were putting fairy decorations above the mirror, and when I looked over, it was actually moving. I awoke one morning to the same child in the bed with me, looking up at me, just gazing. I remember her deep blue eyes and her face slowly fading away from view. I later looked in the garden and I saw her running up the path towards the gate to the fields behind the house. Another afternoon, my mom, stepdad, and I were sitting in the garden having lunch. I honestly don't remember what happened, so this has to come from what I've been told by them. I asked my stepdad if there was a well under the property, to which he said that there was. I then said, the mist that runs past the window in the sunroom is a mother looking for her child. The little girl went to go play in the field behind the house but went missing. A couple of weeks later, her body had surfaced in the river between the garden and the fields behind the property. When the mother found her, she was filled with grief and she threw herself down the well. One last story. My mom told me that my stepdad had a previous partner who unfortunately passed away from an overdose. It was speculated she had difficulties with an eating disorder and my mom dreamt about this woman, viewing herself in the mirror, and she could even hear her thoughts. Bearing in mind, neither me nor my mom have ever seen a picture, yet my mom could describe her in full detail and was 100% accurate according to my stepdad. 
My mom explained that when she and my stepdad were putting things away, she felt as if a great cold wind had rushed over her, and she thought she had fainted. When she awoke, she was in my stepdad's arms. He was crying. When she asked what had happened, he explained his late partner had spoken through my mom and explained what happened to her wasn't his fault, and he needed to let go of that guilt. I've had a few ghostly encounters over the years, but I've remained a skeptical believer. The things I've experienced have mostly been feelings, getting creeped out by a space or hearing footsteps and doors slam. Aside from the time my friend and I were exploring an abandoned asylum and found dark spots on some of our photos, there's been nothing concrete. Being a very grounded person, I figured this would be the extent of my sensitivity, so what happened to me on that morning caught me totally off guard. My partner was leaving for work at 5.30 in the morning. I had moved to the sofa in the middle of the night after tossing and turning from eating too much spicy food before bed, so I only woke up from the sound of him gathering his keys and things. I got up to give him a hug and kiss and went back into the bedroom, and for no apparent reason, laid on his side of the bed. I only mention this because it's not something I normally do, and he has been somewhat of a magnet for paranormal experiences. He has seen ghosts, been harassed by demonic beings, had electronics behave erratically, among other things. About 20 minutes later, I was in that in-between sleep and awake state, lying on my right side, when I felt the bed sink. It distinctly felt like the weight of a person getting into bed with me. Somehow I knew it was not my partner, but I wasn't startled. I squinted my eyes open and looked across the bed, but no one was there. I turned my head to look over my shoulder toward the edge of the bed behind me, but I'm alone. I was fully awake at this point, but somehow it didn't register that I was definitely not alone. As I close my eyes and rest my head on the pillow, I feel the bed fully sink and a heavy weight press up against my back like a large man cuddling up behind me. I'm a six-foot-tall male, and even this felt considerably larger. It didn't have the contours of a person. It was like a mass of energy. It felt warm and heavy pressed up against me. Then I feel its massive arm drape over my torso, just like the body it had no contours but I could see in my mind's eye the shape of its arm as it rested over me. It was then that it started to register that I was being spooned by a ghost. As I come to awareness, I try to speak and realize I can't move. I can't move anything. I don't know if it was from listening to odd trails that prepared me for this moment, but I didn't panic. I fought. In my mind, I said, Get off. But my mouth couldn't say the words. I repeated over and over, Get off, get off, get off. I had no time to think. I just used every ounce of willpower I had to get something to move. My arms, my head, my eyes, but nothing. I was completely immobilized. So I kept fighting. Get off. Get off. I'm willing my tongue to form the words, but I'm just making muffled, mumbled sounds. 
like someone is holding my mouth tightly closed with a sock in it. I notice at this point that my torso can move a little bit, so I fight more. It's probably only millimeters, but I'm pulling forward as much as I can and slamming my back into it with all the strength I can muster. I'm relentlessly rocking back and forth, the whole time repeating for it to get off, trying to get my mouth to form the words. The instant the muffled words came out, it was gone. I sat up and felt nothing, no presence, no fear, no adrenaline. My breathing and heart rate were normal. That's the strangest part. I never got scared or angry. It never felt malicious or threatening. I think it just wanted to cuddle. But that feeling of being awake and moving one instant, and then being immobilized the next, was not something I could tolerate. I wasn't upset, but even ghosts need my consent. Andrew, I have something for you that I think you might enjoy. Mm. I don't know if you've played with chat GPT very much. Not a lot. Um, I really need to dive into it because I hear it can be a pretty useful tool. Until AI becomes sentient. Exactly. Yes, I agree with you. Yeah. Um, well, I actually cheated a little bit and took a shortcut. I asked AI, or I asked chat GPT rather, give me 10 would you rather questions involving the paranormal and I'm going to read them off. Let's do it. You want to do that? Ooh, yeah, that sounds fun. All right, let's take it away here. Number one, would you rather have the ability to communicate with ghosts, but never be able to prove their existence to others, or be completely skeptical about the paranormal, but have undeniable evidence of its existence? I'm not sure what it means by that. Like, I think it means it's your outward projection to the world. Honestly, my instinct wants to go with the first one, but that would be almost be like torture. It'd be like hearing voices and nobody else would really understand, right? That's how I'm reading it. Yeah. But the other one is like, be completely skeptical, but have undeniable evidence. That doesn't make, it's like a contradiction. I'm not too sure what to make of that one. Yeah, that's a weird one. I'm going to say chat GPT. Uh, you kind of dropped the ball on that first one. Let's, let's try another yeah. one. <laughs> let's skip that one. Yeah. Number two, would you rather spend a night alone in a haunted house known for its terrifying experiences or explore an abandoned asylum with a group of friends at midnight? I think the abandoned asylum would be a lot more fun because you'd be there with your friends and it would be yep. like a group experience. But then again, if you know the house is haunted, you're guaranteed a supernatural experience, or at least you're likely going to have an actual supernatural experience. In the asylum, nothing may end up happening, but you're at least having a fun adventure with your friends. So it's tough to choose I would honestly have to do the first one because then I would, I would at least walk away with uh, an experience that uh, was profound rather than just having a fun night with my friends. Something substantial. Yeah. Yeah. I could, I could do the other one anytime, honestly, but you can't come, you don't just come across a haunted house that's genuinely haunted every day. I agree with you there. I would love to visit an actual haunted house one day, even if it's solo. Yeah. There's a lot of places out here that I want to visit. I want some friends to go with. I know we keep talking about yeah. you coming out here. Maybe we can do that, but who knows? We can find an abandoned asylum or something and check it out together and go with number two. It makes me think of the movie, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. It was this Don Knotts movie where he was like dared or he's like, it's like a bet that he can't stay a whole night in this house that's haunted. And, I remember uh, that, yeah. It's pretty funny. I like it a lot. It's a um, good one. It's a good one. Yeah, I think I could I think I could manage a haunted house on my own at night. I feel like I could too. We've mentioned it before, feeling spiritually resilient, if that doesn't sound too cocky, which I'm sure it does. I, I kind of welcome the experience. I want to be more humbled than I already am from the 
three loud knocks I experienced at, or the three loud bangs rather that I experienced yeah. at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. I kind of want more. I'm thirsty for some more. I think my stipulation would have to be as long as there's nobody there messing with me. As long as I, I know that it's not like a prank and somebody is the, and I have to be fear for my life for somebody actually being there um, messing with me or being violent with me, as long as I know it's actual spirits and there's nobody else allowed on the premises. Yes. As long as it's genuine and it's on the level Semi-controlled, like that. Semi-controlled, yeah. Yeah. Then I, 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 I have to go with number one. 100%. Number three, would you rather possess the power to banish all evil spirits from the world or have the ability to summon and control one friendly ghost as your personal assistant? The friendly ghost, 100%. Because I don't think that we could function without evil. It's like the yin and yang. Mm -hmm. You have to have good and evil. There has to be a balance, right? If we got rid of evil, we would all just kind of be living in paradise. But... I don't think that that works, right? No, it doesn't. You need the good with the evil. Otherwise, there is no good. It's just the default. We don't know any better. Yeah. The other way around, we get this ghost that we get to basically be best friends with. It's kind of like that movie, The Sixth Man with uh, Marlon Wayans or uh, I don't know. What are some of the Fred Savage movie? Was that Fred Savage movie? I think I know what you're talking about, but it could be like a Mandela effect. Little Monsters. It was called Little Monsters. It just came to me. Yeah, he has that little blue friend. Yeah. So did he have a ghost friend? It was some blue guy who was like his best friend, his little sidekick. It was exactly like that. I want to relive Fred Savage's experience in Little Monsters. I think you're right with that one. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have a ghost that I can uh, have do pranks with me, just have fun with. I want to Casper the friendly ghost. (laughs) And even then you could use the friendly assistant to do good things. So you could counteract the evil in the world in some extent. That's absolutely true. What do we, what else do we got? All right. Well, number four, we have, would you rather have the ability to see your own future, but not be able to change it? Or be able to communicate with deceased loved ones for guidance, but only once in your lifetime. There's so many like cautionary tales about knowing the future and how it's a bad thing. I was going to say, yeah, I don't want to know the future. In all the stories, it always ends up being a bad thing, right? It's like knowing when you're going to die. I don't want to know the date and time I'm going to die. Hell yeah, no. Because then no, I'm going to be you. waiting for it mm-hmm. every moment of my life. Like, I'm going to, like, knowing how much time you have left in life, sure, it would kind of jumpstart you to start living your life to the fullest. But at the same time, that, that feeling of foreboding, that would just ruin everything that you were doing. The final countdown. Yeah, no, thank you. Nope. What was the other option again? Speaking to your deceased loved ones for guidance, but only once in your lifetime. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Same. Yeah. Who would you talk to? Um, Maybe my great-grandpa. I would let him know that I joined the fraternity that my family has been a part of for, <laughs> what has it been, like three or four generations? Yeah. I'm not going to say which one, but anybody who's a little bit astute might know. <laughs> I think we I all think know. he'd be proud of me. Yeah, I think we all know. <laughs> but yeah, I think he'd be proud of me. So I think that'd be cool just to tell my grandpa, like, hey, I don't need any advice or guidance. But just so you know, I'm a fellow traveling man. We're on the level, brother. I can't think of anybody that I would actually want to talk to. I just hate that first one so much that I'm going with the second option. Yeah, the first one kind of gives me anxiety. Yeah, I don't even like thinking about it. On to number five, we have, would you rather spend a month living in a haunted forest with unknown supernatural entities or spend a night on an isolated island rumored to be haunted by vengeful spirits hmm. these both sound not good so this no, is like there's no winning yeah this is like picking the better of the two bads um i guess i guess number two i'm just this one's a throwaway i'm just gonna say number two seems like it would be lesser i'm going with number one because they're unknown but number two it's rumored to be haunted by vengeful spirits with number one right it's a forest i like the forest more than the beach which what an island would be yeah so i'm going with number one i think with number two i would go prepared i would have like uh 
container of salt to do a, a salt circle around my area. I'd have like a Bible, some crucifixes. I feel like I'd go fully prepared to battle evil spirits. I see. Okay. And, and gotcha. I would be prepared. And then it would just be an all out war that I would be prepared for. <laughs> some holy water. Good answer. You know? Good answer. They need more questions like this on Family Feud, by the way. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> the questions <laughs> of Family Feud suck. I know. They're all like some like thinly veiled question with an obvious sexual answer. And then when they give the sexual answer, Steve Harvey's just like, oh my God, no, you didn't. And then <laughs> yeah, it, it's exactly what it board. is. He just looks into the camera <laughs> and does like a like a disappointed face. Like he wasn't expecting them to say sex. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yep. All right. Number six. Would you rather have the ability to astral project ooh, and explore the spirit realm, but risk encountering malevolent entities or be completely shielded from the paranormal, but also miss out on any potential positive experiences? That's an easy answer for me. Yeah, the second one's a nightmare. Yeah. You're just taking all the magic and mystery out of life shielding yourself from any positive, you know, protective energy. Like, it just seems like, it seems like a bad idea. The first one is just awesome. Like astral projection. I I can't imagine anybody not wanting to do that and explore the astral realm. It's a hard thing to do. I've been practicing it my whole life and I still can't get it right. Like I would love to be able to do that. And nine times out of 10, you're just going to wake up in bed and everything's going to be fine and dandy. So Yeah, I agree with you. Number one, easy. Yeah, I mean, you don't hear about like somebody getting lost in the astral realm and their body is like comatose or something. You know what I mean? Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing wrong with the astral realm. I want out there. I want in there. Number seven, would you rather be a renowned paranormal investigator who encounters extraordinary phenomena regularly, but you can never reveal your findings or... Be a skeptic who constantly disproves paranormal claims and gains widespread acclaim. Anybody who's like a popular skeptic of anything, I just think lesser of them because it's like you can be as skeptical as you want about stuff. But unless you have proof something doesn't exist, stop being so pompous and know it all about it. You know what I mean? You know what? I do have a soft spot for James Randi. Have you seen him? No, I don't know who James Randi is. You might like James Randi. He would go on like talk shows and disprove people who would claim like there was some guy who claimed to turn the pages of a phone book. And then James Randi was like, hold on a second. And he put like it was confetti or some packing foam right in front of the table. And he was like, all right, do it. And if you're not using your your nose to or your breath to move the pages, then these won't move and the pages will just move. And he couldn't do his little trick anymore. He said it was like some static interference. He, he was pretty good. Or like people who claim to be magnetized or whatever and like stick things to their chest. He would put uh, some sort of powder against their chest, probably baby powder or something like that, talcum powder. And they couldn't do it anymore because it would slip off, obviously. But that's not how magnets work. So he, I feel like he approached it in a fair way that wasn't just like, oh, you guys are all full of shit. I hate you all. I, I do like James Randy. Randy with an I, by the way. Yeah, that's a little different. That, I like that. That's just like proving charlatans to be charlatans. Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about like the people that are skeptical, like ghosts don't exist because, and it's like, no, no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm thinking of. You know what I mean? Gotcha. God gotcha, gotcha. doesn't exist because I think this is bad. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> those guys, I, that is completely acceptable. I actually enjoy that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, let's get the fakes out of there. But yeah, it's got to be the first one. It has to be the first one because then you, you also have like this special ability that nobody else has. And yeah, sure, that could probably be a curse, but it's helping you solve cases, right? You're a paranormal investigator who encounters extraordinary phenomena regularly. Like you basically can't reveal your findings, but that knowledge that you gain that ability that you have is so much better than just being a skeptic. You know what I mean? I agree. I like having secrets that I can keep to myself and revel in those things. Exactly. Yeah. Number eight, almost there. Would you rather possess an ancient cursed artifact with incredible powers, but endure its negative consequences or never encounter any supernatural objects or phenomena, but live an ordinary life? 
Yeah, it's kind of like the monkey's paw thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, you, we don't know the specifics of the incredible powers. Like, are those going to outweigh its negative consequences? Like, what are the negative consequences? Is it like mm-hmm. a monkey's paw thing where you have the ability to make wishes, but all the wishes somehow come out evil in some way? Um, like that Simpsons episode. Um, the idea of never encountering anything supernatural or have or any type of supernatural phenomena and living an ordinary life, that's not terrible. It's definitely not terrible. It's better than the unknown of whatever curse you might have. I think I would need to know the details first. You know what I mean? Yeah. The safe bet would be option two in this case. But that's just because chat GPT is very vague on this one. It is very vague. But speaking of the monkey's paw, I kind of want to ask you, I'm going to grant you one wish. What is it? My The one single wish is the hardest thing ever, man. When, it really is. In movies, when they're down to their last wish and they've got one thing to wish for, that's so hard. I, I would, Especially now that you know I'm your monkey's paw, so <laughs> go for it. I would wish for all the genies to be free. All the genies are free, but they want to seek vengeance and the world <laughs> is going to burn. <laughs> <laughs> they're all Jafar. Yeah. Um, I hate no, Jafar. I, that's the hardest question. I have no answer to that. Do you? I don't think anybody has a right answer to that. I would be very specific and vague at the same time and just say that I would wish for, I don't want to say world peace. That's such a vague cop out, but that's an obvious answer though. Yeah, it's the yin yang thing. Yeah, because it's impossible to answer while also trying to circumvent any of the monkey's paw things to come about. Yeah, because I would say I just want to be happy. But then the monkey's paw answer could be, okay, you're happy, but everybody else is miserable. Exactly. How can yeah. you really be happy? So there, there is no real answer to that. I don't think so. I think that that's why wishes don't exist. Because if they did, things would be bad for everybody else. <laughs> like mm-hmm. there, There's consequences to everything. There's a balance to everything. And I don't think wishes work. I would wish for wishes not to exist. I like that. I like <laughs> that. Number nine. Would you rather have the ability to time travel and witness historical paranormal events firsthand or have the power to exercise and free trapped spirits from their earthly attachments? Definitely the second one. I think the idea of exercising and freeing trapped spirits from their earthly attachments would be such a cool job. Because you wouldn't be a charlatan. You wouldn't be doing some scam online where people pay you money to come and pretend to get rid of spirits in their house. You would be actually helping people because we know that hauntings happen. We know that they can be evil and malevolent and they can ruin people's lives. To be the person, to be somebody with the ability to go and exercise those spirits and cleanse those homes, the people that live in haunted homes and all these stories that we get here on On Trails. As much as I'd love to time travel and witness stuff, that second one is so much more useful for everybody. Plus, I can make a lot of money. (laughs) I would still pick the first one, honestly. I I would like to see Benny and Barney Hill. I want to go there on that night, a fly on the wall, be in their car, see what happened and say, for sure, this happened. Things like that. Because I think you could still at least put certain things at rest and be that person who can corroborate experiences with certainty where, hey, the guy who can time travel actually went back and he confirmed that, yes, this really happened or no, that's bullshit or Bob Lazar. Yeah, Bob Lazar would be a good one. Be a fly on his shoulder at Area 51. Yeah. I think there's no right or wrong answer. You can do good with both of those. Yeah, you can definitely do good with both of those. I like that we're split on it, though. All right. Last but not least, we have number 10. Would you rather have the ability to understand the thoughts and intentions of poltergeists or be able to see and communicate with shadow people, but only during the darkest hours of the night? God, that would be so scary. Shadow people are already so scary. The idea of communicating with them is somehow even more terrifying. But you would be doing a great service to the rest of humanity and solving the puzzle that is shadow people that none of us really understand. I know. Is it sleep paralysis? Is it demons visiting us in our sleep? What's going on? Maybe you could reason with them. Maybe not. Who knows? I'd have to go with the second one because I got to know. That's like one of the biggest mysteries 
of our time. Like there's so many people that have these shadow person experiences and they're always so negative. If we could understand them, maybe we could stop them or I, th- I would love to understand it, but it would just be so scary to actually talk to one. It'd be, I feel like it'd be like talking to the devil. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would want to talk to Hatman first and foremost. And yeah. And be like, dude, what is your deal? Excuse like, me, what's Mr. Hatman, I'd like to have a word real quick. Yeah, the fedora is a little out of style. <laughs> Milady. It's not even a fedora. What What the hell is that? It, I think it's a, it's a fedora, it's a brim. right? It's a bit wider brim than fedora, but yeah. Like a 10, Close enough. A 10 gallon hat. <laughs> I think it is a 10-gallon hat. Top hat, yeah. Well, that's it. That's 10. That was fun. Yeah, definitely. Next time, I'll try to come up with a list. Uh, Thanks, everyone, for listening. This week, you have heard The Seer by Anonymous Otter, My Stories by Jesse, Raising the Dead by Catherine, Glitch in the Matrix by Annie, Some Stories from Anonymous, and finally, This Ghost Wanted to Spoon by Richard. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors, If you've got a story to share, make sure you send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Don't forget to sign up for our Patreon if you want to get ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate. And finally, don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts, Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the old-time radio cast over at crypticcountypodcasts.com. We'll see you all next week. Stay safe. Peace out.